Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life, encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends offering perspectives of hope through Jesus Christ. Where does God send a man who was born in Colorado and earned degrees in Arkansas and Tennessee? This is the story of Robert Meyer, whose proficiency in Portuguese, or Portuguese, and decade of service in Angola have led his family toward a focused ministry in Boston, a life that involves adoption, college students, and bird watching. Reflecting God's word in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, he makes all things beautiful in its time. We pause to remind you the reason we have the Good Life Radio program is to lead you to Jesus Christ. There is always hope in Jesus, no matter what you're going through, no matter How tough things might seem to be, there is always hope in Jesus. Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. He loves you that much. He shed his blood on that cross to wash your sins away. He was buried, yes, but three days later he rose again from the grave. And today, dear friend, the living Christ, who's touched the heart and life of Robert Meyer, reaches out to you. And it is our prayer that you would turn to Christ, open your heart to him, and, and follow Jesus. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Go from your way to God's way. Repentance. And my friend, if you already know the Lord, you're going to be encouraged today. Robert Meyer leads the Boston University Navigators team for their ministry to international students. He and his wife Teague and their sons Efeson and Biruk served as church planters in Angola for 10 years with a church denomination, Igreja De Cristo en Angola, where he taught theology in churches and at an evangelical seminary. Robert graduated from Harding University and Harding School of Theology with his bachelor's in Bible and ministry and his Master of Divinity degree, respectively. Robert, welcome to our show. Thanks, Danny. Where in Colorado did you grow up? I grew up in Castle Rock, Colorado. Uh, which in 1981, when I was born, was a little town of about 3,000 people. Uh, Now it's 90,000 people, (laughs) so it's a very different place today than it was then. Can you recognize it when you go back? What do you recognize when you do go back? My parents have lived in the same house, so going home, there's a little island of Castle Rock that feels like home, and then the rest of it is just totally foreign. What did you learn? What did you learn, Robert, From having a family in the locksmith business. (laughs) My dad was a hard worker. When um, Castle Rock was 3,000 people, he worked probably 80 hours a week. He was out of the house before I was up, came home after I went to bed, and was up in the middle of the night to, you know, let people into their cars who got locked out in the middle of the night, Um, which, I mean, had positive and negative effects. I I recognize that my dad was doing everything that he could to provide well for his family. It also meant he wasn't around a lot. Um, But I did learn um, hard work and uh, integrity from my dad. 
who would you say influenced you most in your growing up years? Mm. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents because of my parents running the business. Anytime they had uh, something going on, I, I would go stay with grandma and grandpa. Um, as I got to high school, I had kind of the, I don't know, maybe somewhat typical high school experience where I um, didn't want to spend time with family and um, got involved with uh, some of the um, wrong crowd in high school. And it was uh, men from the church where I grew up that recognized that I needed strong male spiritual figures in my life. And they really helped me um, turn things around and make some changes. How? How? What, what did they do to help turn things around? I was a very quiet kid. I sat at the back with my mom um, and uh, didn't say much. They recognized, I mean, I, but I was there every Sunday because my mom didn't give me the option. And they recognized that I wasn't um, engaging with other people at the church and sought me out, invited me, invited me, invited me, never gave up on me. And uh, then when I did get involved, um, they began to give me some of that one-on-one -on -one attention that I really needed and help me recognize some unhealthy habits in my life. Um, I was, I remember um, one man, Lee Cole, told me that uh, I needed to talk to my parents more respectfully. And uh, I had never, <laughs> I had never been told that by another adult before. And that, you know, little things like that really uh, helped me recognize that these people care for me and, and but they're also going to call me out when I'm not living the way I should. As you say that, Robert Meyer, uh, a listener today is nodding her or his head and saying, can they come and speak to my child <laughs> to uh, remind them about speaking more respectfully? How did you become a follower of Jesus Christ? So I, I grew up in church, but um, I was not interested until um, those men reached out to me and brought me in. And that was really the first time I did, I did not have Christian friends in school or in high school. And that was really the first time I was, I was exposed to a community of people that were actively trying to live like Jesus. And I was enamored by it, by, by the way they live, by their dedication to it. And as I became a part of that group, God worked in me and I wanted to, you know, follow Christ as well. So I, I would say it was a process through being included in that community of people. So these men r reached out to you. Mm -hmm. they, they knew you needed some guidance. Mm -hmm. What was the community like? Your contemporaries, yeah. young people your age at that time. What was it? My, Who were they? My high school was about half cattle ranchers' kids and about half of the suburban Denver population from very affluent families. And the two sides didn't mix much, and each side had their parties. And you either went and partied on the weekends with the uh, you know wealthy kids whose parents worked for like Lockheed and Martin or big government contractors, or you went and partied with the uh, cattle ranchers' kids, and um, very few people in the middle. Uh, so I uh, you know I I just kind of ran by myself because I wasn't into the party scene even before I uh, came to faith. And um, that felt kind of like an outsider for a lot of high school. How did you get through it? I mean, it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough today. It's tough in any era, really, to be stuck in that weird middle that doesn't really fit in. Yeah. 
I struggled a lot my my first year of high school before I came to faith. I just didn't feel like I fit in. I just kept very quiet, just tried to keep my head down and, and get through it. And then when I was invited to be a part of the, you know, the church group, um, the, the youth, um, I found a community that loved me and cared for me and didn't judge me because I wasn't like everybody else. And um, I started going to high school with different with a different attitude. And I was open about my faith with my peers and didn't care a whole lot when they thought it was weird because I had a group of people who didn't think it was weird, who were living that life together. And that meant that was what I needed to push me through. There was support, mm-hmm. the, the support, the encouragement, knowing that you belong somewhere. Yeah. You had an identity, mm-hmm. that, an identity in Christ, in the Christian community. When did you recognize Robert, a call to full-time ministry. So I I think the change in my life was pretty quick. I went from being the quiet kid on the back row to being all in. And uh, because I grew up in a small town, we didn't have a youth pastor. We just had men who kind of volunteered their time. And so if we wanted um, there to be an event or a devotional or just a gathering to get together, we had to plan it and then, you know, ask an adult to be there to make make sure everything was okay. And I ended up being the ringleader for a lot of those things. Um, You know, in hindsight, I have some administrative ability, but back then it was just, hey, I want to get together. Like, what do we need to do to make this happen? And I kept bringing people together and bringing people together just because I loved being with the community. And the men in that congregation who had invested in me recognized maybe a gifting about bringing people together around faith and thought that um, that was a sign that God maybe had a purpose for me in, in full-time ministry. What would they say to you mm-hmm. as, a, as a young person yeah. that affirmed some of this or pulled some of that out? Yeah. Um, they, they recognize, they would tell me, um, that they thought I had some ability that needed to be explored. And they would also just say, you should go to Harding. <laughs> you know, and I knew what that meant. That, that, that was code, right? Yeah, that was code. In the, in the Church of Christ where I grew up, to say you should go to Harding and be a Bible major just meant, I think you should go into ministry. A word to somebody today. Could be a young person listening. Mm-hmm. Could be someone who, who still feels like they're stuck in the odd middle. Mm-hmm. And haven't really found their place, their, well, how can we say it, their, uh, their camp, mm-hmm. so to speak. A word to them. I would encourage you to never uh, quit searching for a community that you belong to um, and to be bold and try new things. The first time I organized a youth devo, um, I got up to share the message and I was terrified of public speaking. I forgot what I was going to say. I read the, I, my Bible fell open to a page. I read a verse and then I sat down and I was terrified. And it was those same guys that came back to me after that. And they lied to me. They said, you did great. It was awesome. Don't quit trying. And they put me up again and again. And it's just that persistence um, that allowed me to even, you know, sit here with you and, you know, be recorded for the radio is all because someone said, keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. That's a very timely and needed word to someone today. And, and it's really the Lord encouraging someone through you, Robert. And what an example that is. You can find out more about Robert Meyer at navigatorsboston.org. That's again, navigatorsboston.org. He 
leads the Boston University Navigators team for their ministry to international students. When we come back, we'll talk more with Robert Meyer. He mentioned Harding University. You got to go to Harding. That's code for get trained for full-time ministry. Get trained to be a leader. Learn the word. Get grounded in the scriptures because God has a calling on your life. We certainly do need those moments of encouragement, someone to affirm what God is doing in our lives. So uh, stay with, stay with us. We'll be back with more encouragement. Wandering the road of desperate life. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Robert Meyer grew up in Castle Rock, Colorado, where his parents owned a small locksmith business. He, he recognized the call to serve the Lord through full-time ministry and to pursue that call, Robert began a bachelor's degree in Bible and ministry from Harding University in Searcy, Arkansas. You're listening to the Good Life Radio program. You can find out more about Robert Meyer at navigatorsboston.org. And my friend, if you're tuning in right now, maybe caught the tail end of the last segment, you can get this program in its entirety. Just go to drdanny.live. Subscribe to the podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast platforms. Again, drdanny.live. Robert, you attended Harding University. Why Harding? I chose Harding mainly because my friends were going there. Uh, I knew I wanted to pursue a degree in Bible. I did feel a sense of calling to ministry. And it's where everybody else was going. So I didn't look very far. So the community continued That's in right. your collegiate years. That's right. Yep. Friendships, relationships. Mm -hmm. There's there's a flow that carried on or carried you along, we That's should say. Yep. What does Silver City Church mean to you? While I was at Harding, I got involved with a ministry to um, kids living in a low-income neighborhood in North Little Rock. And uh, I started out there, I needed an internship, and I was still terrified of public speaking. And so working with these kids was an opportunity to do something uh, to satisfy college credit without doing that thing I was afraid of. But I ended up falling in love with the ministry and with those kids. Um, they... Um, 
they just thrived in um, an environment where college students were coming down and loving on them and spending time with them. And um, we, uh, we fell in love with the neighborhood so much that when I graduated from Harding, I moved into the neighborhood to live and work with those people. What happened in your heart mm-hmm. when you worked with the people there at uh, North, North Little Rock? I think it was um, a beginning of sorts for me where I was learning that um, God had given me a heart for living and working among people who come from a very different walk of life. Uh, on the one hand, I think my uh, blue collar upbringing gave me some language and ability to interact with people that are coming from low income families. But at the same time, um, inner city Arkansas is so very different from where I grew up. And I just loved finding ways to communicate with people from other cultures. And um, I think that was God um, setting me on a journey where I, uh, that led me to dedicate all of my adult life to working with people from very different backgrounds. How did you meet Teague? So Teague and I both joined a um, freshman uh, peer peer group. So we we were upperclassmen and we were helping new freshmen at Harding, you know, figure out how to navigate the university, didn't know each other. As soon as I met her, I was on a mission. I was recruiting other students to work with me at Silver City. And uh, Teague recruited Teague and it was a 45 minute drive to Little Rock every weekend. And, uh, you know, she rode shotgun and we got to know each other that way through uh, through serving together and doing uh, puppet shows for four, five and six year olds on Sunday mornings. Robert Meyer, you must have enjoyed those 45 minute rides with Teague at Shotgun. I sure did. When did you get married? So we married uh, in 2005. I had been uh, out of my undergraduate degree for a year and she had a year left. What was her major? She was a nursing major. Why were you interested in joining summer internships in Africa? Mm-hmm. Um, I did not start with noble intentions. I first went to Africa um, because I had never traveled outside the U.S. and I was infatuated with African wildlife and it sounded really cool. And uh, a missionary got up, we had chapel every day, a missionary got up and talked about, come work, work with us in Uganda. We have elephants and you'll raft the Nile River. And I thought that sounds like an awesome trip. When I signed up, they randomly assigned students to where they would go. And I ended up going to Togo where we don't have rivers to raft or elephants, just lots of corn and corn fields and corn cobs. And I was so disappointed, um, but decided to go anyway, and God turned my world upside down. How did he do that? So in Togo, I met, for the first time, I met uh, people living in absolute poverty. I mean, barely um, surviving off of their corn crop but who were so zealous for the Lord, so dedicated to their, their faith and sharing their faith with others. And, uh, but yet they were so different from me. And it, it was the first time in my life that I'd really had faith-filled conversations with people from such a radically different background. And I, I began to catch a vision for um, multicultural Christianity. Multicultural Christianity, you're in Africa. Give us a sense of where where Togo is mm-hmm. in the broader African content. Togo, continent. Togo's in West Africa. It's French-speaking, though most of the people don't speak French. Most of the people speak um, local, uh, local languages. 
and uh, most of the people live in a very rural setting um, where there really is not much other than, than cornfields, and they work hard, hard hours um, during harvest season, and then when there's no harvest, there's not a lot going on, and they sit around, and if they're a part of the church, they go and share their faith with their neighbors because there's not much else to do. How long were you there mm-hmm. that summer? I was there for eight weeks. And did you do other summer internships? So I didn't go back to Africa after that first summer, um, but I did, uh, I did an internship with Silver City. I did an internship in uh, inner city Chicago, and then I went back home to Castle Rock and did an internship. It sounds like the internship in Togo really left an impression on you. It did. What led you and Teague to adopt mm-hmm. Efferson and Baruch? So when uh, Teague and I began dating, we, um, we were very serious from the outset. We didn't see a whole lot of point in dating if we weren't serious about it. And so we talked about family, and my father was adopted, and um, Teague has a brother who was adopted. And so we talked about adoption as kind of a normal thing that we just assumed would be a part of our our family. Um, When we decided to uh, move to Africa, we knew that that would be a unique opportunity for us to raise children adopted from Africa in a context that felt more familiar to them. And so we decided to adopt uh, from Africa and to adopt children who were a little bit older and uh, because we knew that we could give them an environment that would help them through that attachment period and, and their, through their childhood with something familiar. This is before you're having conversations before marriage and, of course, in marriage. We talked about summer internships. When did God begin to speak to you about moving with Teague mm-hmm. to Africa, to Angola? So at our wedding, I had five guys on my side, and all five of those guys wanted to do mission work overseas. We were the only couple um, that was a part of my wedding, (laughs) my own wedding, that wasn't thinking about mission work. And so at my bachelor party, we were all sitting around, and we said, wouldn't it be so cool if we all went and did mission work somewhere together? And of, of course, I thought that was awesome. So we met with that group of people twice to talk about where might we go and do missions. And one guy wanted to go to Argentina. One guy wanted to go to China. One guy wanted to go to Eastern Europe. And we were uncertain. And by the end of our second meeting with that group, we realized it's not gelling. It's not going to happen because everybody is, feels called to a different continent. But during that process, some other friends of ours heard that we were exploring mission work and the war, the civil war in Angola had just ended. And they said, hey, we think people need to go to Angola because they have had 40 years of war and mission work has been very difficult in that country. It's just opening up. And that was appealing to us. So we left the first group of people and started meeting with our uh, new teammates. And um, God used that to um, draw us into Angola. New teammates. I can see how the the scattered callings, yeah. you know, the scattered interests or passions would, would lead you to the conclusion that you and Teague came to. 
Although I would say you must have very interesting conversations during the time of the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Seeing that everyone, you mentioned Argentina and other yep. places, that they're, if they've pursued that, what their perspectives are in, the, in, the, in this season of their lives. You're listening to Robert Meyer. It's one of those where when you talk to someone who is thinking of another language, loving other cultures, comfortable in other places, and has a heart for the world and an openness to God where God might be leading them, it lends itself towards very enriching, stimulating conversation. That's part of the blessing here today with, uh, with Robert Meyer. When we come back, you're going to hear more from him. Yes, they, they have family that both he and Teague know about adoptions. Of course, they know about it now personally. But they served for a decade in Angola. What would happen to someone living there for that long in their spiritual formation? Well, we'll talk more with Robert, that and more, when we come back. Stay with us. Wandering the road of desperate life They must leave beneath the barren... On behalf of Danny Yamashiro Ministries, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, weekdays at 6 p.m. on WEZE, and visiting drdanny.live for more resources. My dear friend, it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of Jesus' love and bring hope to people like you, your family, and friends. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Robert Meyer's father was adopted and Teague, Robert Meyer's wife, has an adopted brother. So adoption had always been a part of their family story. They chose to adopt from Ethiopia because they knew their children would grow up in Africa, and indeed they have, Ephesus and Beruk. But the story continues, the Good Life Radio program here. Robert Meyer, 
our guest today. Robert, in, in what ways did your 10 years serving in Angola influence your spiritual formation? Great question. I, um, Angola was hard, and living cross-culturally is hard. We um, were well-prepared for it, and even being well-prepared for it, it was hard. Um, we were, in some sense, pioneering something new. We worked with an Angolan denomination that had never received missionaries before. And so every conversation was uh, full of mixed expectations, you know, not knowing um, where everybody was. And I think God used that. I am a very systematic thinker and a planner. I have a 10-year plan, you know, and I have plans B through Z when that inevitably doesn't work out. And I think God used um, the nature of what we were doing in Angola to teach me to rely more on him and to hold on to my plans loosely um, as we navigated a lot of complex relationships. There's a lot packed into the word complex mm -hmm. or the phrase complex relationships, the language. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to learn the language or how difficult was that or how easy was it for you? Yeah. We, had a, uh, we went to Angola with a team of um, six adults, and we all learned language at a slightly different pace. Um, I had studied Spanish in school, which was actually something that drew me to Angola originally. And so I picked up the language and the grammar rather quickly. Um, I was able to give my first little devotional thought after about six months. But really, it was a couple of years before we were comfortable and felt like we could uh, communicate without having to pause the conversation and ask for clarification constantly. It was a long process. We, when, when, when you think about, I want to circle back to spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. Because th there, there are grounding experiences mm -hmm. in that. Did anything surprise you regarding the way mm -hmm. you grew in your spiritual life? Oh, so many things. I'll try to pick a few out. Um, I uh, am not very pastoral in gifting, and uh, I think that one thing that surprised me is how much I grew in empathy through our experiences in Angola. Um, I joke, I, I, I say I cried twice in my adult life before moving to Africa, and now I cry just about every day because of something that really touches me, uh, you know, some thought that sparks in my mind about someone I care about, you know, from another walk of life. Um, and so I, I think that, that growing in empathy was a major part of my spiritual development, you know, in Angola. Um, learning to trust so many things uh, in li life in Africa just in general um, is unpredictable. And my desire to control my circumstances and my surroundings was at times ripped away from me <laughs> rather quickly. And just learning to let it go and trusting God and go with the flow um, was, a, was a big part as well. Can you give, an, give us an example? Sure. Um, I remember uh, one trip we, uh, we were setting out to go. Um, uh, I was going to be a, a guest speaker in a town about uh, two hours away. So I loaded up the car with everything I could imagine we would need for the trip um, and we had to travel about a hundred miles uh, you know make the trip and uh, we didn't get out of town before I was stopped at a police checkpoint and given a ticket for a trumped up charge that made no sense but that was just a part of life there um, and you know left a little bit hot 
you know, I, I struggled a lot with my anger uh, through these encounters and then uh, got a few miles down the road and had a flat tire and got a few miles down the road and had a second flat tire and then had to go figure out how to get two tires plugged in the middle of nowhere so that we could keep on the village. And by the time I roll in, we were eight or nine hours late and uh, really worried that, um, you know, we had lost the opportunity that God had given us to share with these people. And as we pull in, they say, oh, it's no problem. Nobody's even here yet. They knew that you weren't going to make it in two hours. <laughs> and so we, we were there and I preached well into the night and spent time with people all the next day. And really everything went so well. And I had uh, just kind of kicked myself for being so discouraged that the trip hadn't gone according to plan. It's a good reminder, a very timely reminder for, for us. Our time compared to God's time. He does make all things beautiful and it's time. You're back now in Boston. How are you carrying on the work after 10 years in Angola? Mm -hmm. I have always um, felt that um, God's calling in my life looks uh, is always building upon what came before it. So we chose to move back to Boston um, because of the Portuguese speaking people in this area. So we moved into um, the Nubian Square neighborhood in Boston because of the large Cabo Verdean population there. And we knew they speak Portuguese. And we thought, let's just move into this neighborhood and see if God can use our, our Portuguese. So I joined uh, my son Efeson's um, parent-teacher council at his school. It's me and five Cabo Verdean moms all on this parent-teacher council. And uh, it's just a lot of fun to be able to use that and understand a bit of the culture that they come from and language. Um, and I, I tell everybody, we, we want to be um, a good example for Jesus to the people in our neighborhood, but we also know it's going to take years before they trust us. We can't just move into the neighborhood and, you know, transform everything overnight. But we're here for the long haul, and we want to see how God will use that. And if we've learned anything from our life in Angola, it's uh, persistence. Where did you first start learning the, the Portuguese language? You mm. mentioned Spanish. We yeah. know you had to learn Portuguese, but where did you learn that? We spent a year in Lisbon um, after leaving the U.S. before we moved to Angola so that we could learn Portuguese. So this was part of the organizational training That's right. requirement. Mm -hmm. Why the Navigators now here in Boston? So I joined the Navigators after returning to the U.S., and um, I was really drawn to the model of one-on-one uh, -on -one discipleship. Um, we found in Angola that most of my preaching and teaching, um, it, it may have had an effect. I don't want to say that you know there wasn't an effect, but my most fruitful ministry was the one-on-one -on -one conversations with whoever was riding shotgun. You know, I would go on these trips to preach in far-flung villages, and I don't know what God was able to do with any of that among the people that I preached to, but there were rich conversations that happened, you know, on the long road trips in the car with the guy sitting next to me. And so when I, uh, knew, when I was moving to another phase of ministry, I wanted it to be focused on more of those one-on-one -on -one conversations that really get down into... Uh, the deep kinds of things that are part of, you know, being a disciple of Jesus. Why focus on international students? Uh, I believe that God has called me to multicultural ministry, and that's um, just been a part of my story since leaving Harding. And so um, 
when we first came to Boston, we weren't quite sure what that would look like. But uh, as I got involved at BU, I found myself having conversations with students from Ghana, Nigeria, Brazil, um, Colombia, and uh, China, and was just really drawn to these students. And in part, I think, because I understand what it's like to live in a new culture, and there's a dimension of what they deal with every day that I'm uniquely equipped to understand. And um, I'm all in on working with international students. I just feel like... Um, there are ways that God has equipped me to minister to them that are unique. It's also a lot of fun. Fun, unique. We can see that. You're living that. How did your relationship, your marriage relationship with Teague, mm -hmm. how did it grow in the 10 years that you were in Angola? And in what ways were you challenged? Yeah. Um, well, suffering together definitely forms deep bonds. And so there were moments in Angola when uh, nothing was going according to plan. And Teague and I would sit together and uh, just take comfort in the fact that at least we were <laughs> together and dealing with it together. And that was the value of team as well. Um, I, it was also stressful. There were, there were moments when um, we didn't necessarily agree on how to deal with some very difficult situations and we had to navigate that together. And uh, it's hard in the moment, but it, it drew us closer together. And uh, one thing I've always loved about Teague, she wanted to be a nurse because she wanted to serve people. And so serving others has always been um, a big part of our decision-making process. And I really believe that if you're united in mission and purpose, you can deal with just about anything the world throws at you and, uh, because you share that common mission. To do the work that you do, there must be people praying for you, mm -hmm. and there must be people who are supporting you. Mm -hmm. How have you seen the Lord provide through the relationships that you have? Any surprises in that way? Anything that uh, you know encourages you all the more mm -hmm. as you go along in the work God has called you to? Yeah. You know, we've uh, always raised financial support to do what we do. And God has been faithful in that. You know, even the first trip we made to Angola on a research trip, I don't remember exactly what we needed, but we were two cents short on the funds that we raised to cover the entire cost of that trip. And I've shared that so many times, and so many people have walked up to me and handed me two pennies, <laughs> you know, which is clever. But um, he's always provided for us. But even beyond the financial provision, um, we always visit our supporters anytime that we can and we would come back from Angola every two years and we'd make the road trip and we'd visit all these people that were supporting us praying for us and it was so encouraging to know that people halfway around the world believe so much in what we're doing that they're willing to put you know their their money behind it but also their prayers behind it and we would just have these wonderful conversations and my my family kind of started a tradition by accident we would, you know, go have dinner with a supporter and, and just feel so encouraged. We'd come out, we'd all get into the car, and as we're pulling out of the driveway, somebody would say, good people, because there are so many good people that are just a part of our life, and we don't take that for granted. Um, I love that there is a community that follows Christ all over the world, and I've seen a lot of the world, and everywhere I go, I can be with people who are on mission and who love us just because we share that common purpose, and that means the world to us. Just to hear you articulate that, there's a galvanizing 
that goes on, I, I sense, within, within us, within anyone in the body of Christ, to know that you're sending someone today, but you are also part of the team, also part of the eternal impact that God is making. And indeed, uh, the impact goes on and on and on, far beyond anything that we can, we can imagine. And that's a real thing. That's a real thing in lives being changed and transformed by Christ. When we come back in our final segment, Robert, you talked about some challenges. Let's delve a little further because someone today may be facing their own challenge. And I think there's a way to minister, for God to minister through you, through us, to that dear person in need today. You are loved, my friend. And the Lord sends Robert Meyer to not only encourage, but also to affirm you in the Lord. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wandering the road of desperate life. Famously beneath the bear. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a program that was born out of prayer. The Spirit of Christ guides us through prayer, empowers us through prayer, and provides for us through prayer. There are mighty things that the Lord is doing in the Northeast, across the United States, and around the world. Would you like to be a part of God's work through the good life with Dr. Danny? Visit drdanny.live. Dr. Danny invites you to join his prayer team. Each month, you will receive a letter updating you on some of the behind-the-scenes developments, prayer requests, along with a devotional that Dr. Danny writes to encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Join the prayer team today and make an eternal difference in people's lives. Visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life Robert today. Meyer joined the Boston University Navigators team in August 2021, where he leads their ministry to international students. Teague, his wife, works as a nurse for Boston Healthcare for the Homeless. Together, they host a micro church, a house or cell church, in their home in Roxbury. Robert also trains and coaches Christians in New England who also lead micro-churches. You can find out more about them and their ministry at navigatorsboston.org. Robert, how has the Lord helped you 
through difficult times? I have um, always called myself stubborn, and uh, that that bends both ways. Sometimes uh, that means I am stubbornly clinging on to something that God wants me to let go, and sometimes um, it ends up being persistence uh, in something that God wants me to hold on to. And I think one of the lessons I'm still learning in life is <laughs> which of those any given situation is. But um, you know, we learned a lot about persistence when we were in Angola, and um, I uh, I spent nearly ten years um, planting churches with Angolan Christians, and often that uh, did not. Uh, well, let, let me rephrase that. Never did that play out the way that we actually hoped or envisioned it would go, and um, I think God used that to teach us as well as to um, show us that uh, He's the one who. Uh, gives the growth. But, um, you know, we, uh, I often say that I'm a pretty lousy church planter. <laughs> and I laugh when I was asked to help coach others that are, they're uh, planting micro churches around Boston. I said, sure, I can tell them 101 things that, that won't work. Um, there's value in that, by the way, there is, there is. So we, uh, we, we attempted to, um, plant several churches in Angola. We, we actually, helped Angolan Christians launch four churches in the first four years. And at the end of those four years, um, we were ready to transition out. You know, the plan is never for the, the foreigner to lead. The plan is always for the, the local people to take leadership roles, or it should be. And at the end of four years, as we began to transition out, we watched all four of those churches uh, shutter and, and, you know, cease meeting together. Uh, one, we immediately jumped back in and uh, kept it alive on live support, but the other three ceased to exist. And after four years of, you know, hard work, we looked at that and we, we asked God why. And we doubled down on that one little church. And in time, God sent uh, a few mature Christian leaders that, that helped that church along. And we decided, you know what, this model uh, is part of the problem, the problem where someone has to stand up front and lead everything. It just doesn't reach a lot of people. And that's when we shifted to a microchurch model. And we, uh, we had four different microchurches full of people that we were working with, all of which ended up fizzling out uh, for a variety of reasons. Our first group, we met with them for 18 months. And after 18 months, they all decided, you know, this is not for us. And for different reasons, they walked away. We started over again, and after 18 months, we um, one of our uh, one of our families, the husband, was locked up for unpaid debts. He he went to prison, and we were visiting him in prison. Another family had a, a terrible divorce, uh, and uh, just over over and over again, we were discouraged. And it was only in the fourth iteration of of what we were doing that we saw growth. And so just learning persistence from, you know, f failing over and over again, or, you know, maybe failing is too hard a word, but just learning that God sometimes has other plans. Did you see in time after the church of the first four churches went mm -hmm. shuttered, you put one on life support, then you went to microchurches, yeah. and then they closed. Did you ever see fruit born in the time that you were there? We did. So at the very end, um, something rather incredible happened. We had a fourth group of young people that were meeting as a microchurch. And as it happened many times before, we, we were encouraging them, look, this has to grow. 
but it has to grow and stay small. So we want you to go out and start micro churches in your neighborhood. And they were reluctant to do it. And then COVID happened and the Angolan government shut the city down. People were told not to leave their neighborhood. People were arrested who defied the order. And so we called up each of the people in, in our microchurch and we said, hey, don't defy the government on this. Just meet in your home with whoever you can gather. So we, at the beginning of COVID, we had 12 people that were meeting as a part of our microchurch. And when the government shutdown ended three months later, we gathered together over 60 people. And all of them had come to faith during the lockdown because someone who had been a part of our microchurch had used the opportunity when schools and businesses were closed to go and share their faith. So I joke, I say, everything that I tried failed, but God used COVID to do something incredible. And now there's a network of more than eight microchurches in the city where we lived, meeting together and continuing to grow all because of, of what they learned through experience, you know, during COVID, what God taught them. That, that is encouraging. In the end, you've seen yeah. some, some blooming. Mm-hmm. What is a microchurch? Describe that briefly for us, please. A microchurch is a, a form of decentralized church where um, people gather in homes to just live as Christian community together. And we, we study God's word together. We take the Lord's Supper together. We sing together. We do all the things that are part of a, a traditional worship service. But we do it in a way that allows us to be intimately involved in each other's lives, which is really where the real work of discipleship happens. We're with each other during difficult times and during joyful times, and we serve in our neighborhoods together. It really allows the small group and local nature of it really allows people to invest in real ways in each other. As we begin to wrap up our time, and thank you for explaining that to us, the microchurch, the cell church. Will you pray for uh, a listener today who is suffering, someone who is, it could be a, a, a health issue, it could be a relational challenge, it could be something going on financially, maybe a loss, a shocking loss, or someone that's not seeing much fruit, but they're persisting or they need to persist. All that, pray. Please, Robert. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would bless anyone listening to this program who is struggling, whatever that struggle looks like. Father, I have seen you be faithful over and over again, but it is difficult at times to trust in you and to trust in your faithfulness. And I pray that you would give courage to those who are struggling. I ask that you would give persistence and wisdom to recognize you at work around us. For those who might be struggling um, in uh, attempts to be uh, Christ-like in their neighborhood, I pray that you would give them strength and surround them with people who would encourage them. For those who are suffering in other ways, whether it's sickness or, or broken relationships, I pray that you would lift them up Surround them with people that love them and um, give them the courage to carry on. We know that you call us not to produce great numbers and great things, but that ultimately you call us to be faithful. And We ask for the courage and the wisdom to be 
the faithful disciples of Jesus that you call us to be. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we wrap today, wrap up today, just one more question. What is a twitcher? A twitcher is someone who is so enthusiastic about bird watching that they will travel miles and miles for that one elusive sighting of a hard to find bird. Hard to find bird. The unique species of bird. How many how many photographs do you have of unique species of birds? I'm just north of seven hundred and forty different bird species that I've photographed. A twitcher indeed. Indeed. A twitcher extraordinaire. Robert Meyer, thank you for being with us today. Thanks. Inspiring words from Robert Meyer, navigatorsboston.org. My friend, God's timing is perfect. And there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And if you haven't done so, look, this may be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Christ. Would you visit drdanny.live? I've got some resources for you there. To reach family and friends, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast platforms, drdanny.live. Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Robert Meyer, navigatorsboston.org. Until next time, along with my producer, David Nasora, creative director, Brian Torres, web designer, Sheena Kusumoto, Social Media Director Luke Yamashiro and Guest Coordinator Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with the good life.